the Heavenly Father delights to forgive and graciously bless repentant sinners. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. You know, a little bit earlier uh, this morning, we watched that video for Father's Day, which it featured things that dads never say. I was watching, and I thought, oh, maybe we should put something together here, things Pastor Dan never will say. And so I thought, so here would be the one. I have a five-minute sermon for you today, and so start thinking now about where you're going to go to lunch, all right? So that's something you'll never hear me say. With that, then, we do want to wish a happy Father's Day to everyone. Uh, for many, today is a day celebrating the fathers who have loved us and, has, and have cared for us through it all. Uh, but I do know that Father's Day can be a difficult day for some of us as well, that perhaps your dad wasn't a very good dad, or perhaps your father has passed away, and so there are some painful feelings on this day. Or perhaps there are some dads who feel guilty knowing that they could have done or could be doing a better job of being a father. But I pray that whatever your situation, you will be encouraged here today by the sermon. Whatever your situation, know that we have a loving Heavenly Father in whom we can put our trust and whom we find refuge and hope and peace. So for today, then, we're departing a little bit from our series on the life of Christ, that unique series, and we're going to be looking at something, a particular parable that Jesus told, found in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Now, you have probably often heard of this parable referred to as the parable of the prodigal son, and it certainly is that, a parable about a wasteful son But I think it can also be called, as some have suggested, a parable of the loving father. Because at the heart of the parable isn't the son's actions, it's the actions of the father and the loving father. And so that's what we want to focus on here today, is that loving heavenly father that we have. And here is the key theme that I want us to take away, is that the heavenly father delights, the heavenly father delights to forgive and graciously bless repentant sinners. He delights. It brings great joy to him, great joy in all of heaven when a sinner repents. And so he delights to forgive, and not just forgive our sins, but to graciously pour out blessing upon those repentant sinners then. So before we look at our text in Luke chapter 15, it's in 11 to 32. I want to back up for just a little bit there and start at Luke 15, verses 1 through 10. And I want us to see the context in which Jesus is telling this parable. This parable is actually the third. It's one of three parables that Jesus tells there with the theme of something that is lost being found and the great joy that comes from that. But this is what occasions these parables on the joy that is found when something lost is found. Look at Luke 15, verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him. Tax collectors and sinners. First of all, tax collectors, we know who they were. They weren't very well liked, right? But sinners. Wait a minute, I thought we were all sinners. Well, we are 
But there were some in that culture, particularly the religious leaders, they didn't really think of themselves as being sinners in the same way that those people were, those truly terrible sinners over there, okay? And so they could be, frankly, pretty self-righteous, those Pharisees. And so here now then, the tax collectors and sinners, though, are all drawing near to hear Jesus. Look at verse 2. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. They're saying, How terrible, how terrible for this man. He puts himself out as our Messiah, as, our, as some great you know, hope of the ages here. And yet, what is he doing? He's hanging around with sinners. Those terrible people, even tax collectors. So they're grumbling about how dare he do such a thing as that. How can such a a great Messiah and teacher lower himself by spending time with those people? And Jesus, of course, he knew that they were thinking that. And so he tells three parables Says the first one, so he told them this parable, starting in verse 4. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who, quote-unquote, need no repentance. Or, what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. And just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. A lost sheep is found, and there is joy. That shepherd rejoices. And Jesus says, Great joy, the great joy in heaven over a sinner who repents. A lost coin is found, and there is joy, joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Something's lost, it's found, and there's joy. Let's look at what Jesus says next then. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, 
and no one gave him anything. So here we see first a rebellious son, a rebellious son. Jesus tells this parable again of the lost and found and joy. And here was a son then who was lost. But he says what a man had two sons. A man had two sons. And Jesus is setting up in this parable then a contrast between these two sons. This older son and this younger son. And the younger son then comes to the father and makes a very unusual request. He wanted his share of the father's estate right then. Now, as the younger son, he would have received, since there were two sons, means he would have received one-third of the estate. Now, wait a minute, you're thinking, wait a minute, why one-third? There's two of them, why doesn't he get half? Well, in that culture, the older son received a double portion. So he would have two-thirds of the estate, but the younger son, he would still have a third. So he wants one-third of the value of all that this father has. He comes and he says, I don't want to wait for you to die. I want it now. And so in effect, as has been suggested, some are saying, what was, he, what was this son saying to his father? He was saying, as far as I'm concerned, you're dead to me. I want it now. He didn't want to be with his father He didn't want to stay with his father. He just wanted what he could get from his father, and he wanted it now. Can you imagine the hurt of the father's heart in that situation? Well, sadly, some of us might not need to imagine it at all because perhaps we felt that. But the father agrees And he gives the son his inheritance. And so the son goes off to a far country, and he manages it really well and makes a great success of himself in his life, right? No, wait a minute, that's the wrong... I I misread that story. No, he doesn't do that. What does he do? Go off to a far country, and he would squander it. Notice he goes off to a far country, right? What does he want to do? He wanted to get away from his father, He didn't love his father. He just wanted something that he could get from him. And as soon as he got it, he wanted to get as far away from him as he could because he had his own life that he wanted to live. He didn't want any interference from his father. Goes off to this far country, and there then he makes a mess of his life. He wastes all that he has in reckless living, possibly including taking up with prostitutes as the older brother would later accuse him. Now, those listening to Jesus at this point would understand something that Jesus is saying here. Remember, we said that Jesus had been criticized for associating with sinners. Now, of course, the truth is, is we're all sinners, right? We are all sinful people. But in their minds, in that culture, though, those religious leaders, these spiritual leaders of the day, I suppose if you pressed them, they might admit that, yes, they were sinners too. But they really didn't think of themselves that way. They just thought of those people over there. Those are the sinners, the bad people there. 
So Jesus has been criticized for that in his attitude toward those sinful people over there. So those sinful people, they were considered far away from God. They were squandering their lives in reckless and riotous living. But while this younger son is away doing that, where's the older son? Well, he's still right back there. He remained with his father. And he was not engaging in such sinful practices. He was not like that sinful younger brother. But back in the far country, though, a famine arose. And the younger son ran out of money so that he had to work for a foreigner feeding pigs. It's been suggested perhaps that far country was a region east of the Sea of Galilee where Gentiles tended pigs there. And so now this young man finds himself in a previously unthinkable position of having to feed pigs. Now, some of us here having to feed pigs, you think, so what? That's what we do all the time, right? You don't think that. But in those days, for a Jew to now have to take a job feeding pigs, this was especially distasteful. Why? Because to the Jews, the pigs were unclean animals, right? They would want nothing to do with them, not be near them, not touch them. But here he is, now he's in the position of he's actually having to feed them. That's his job. This is what his rebellion has brought him to. Feeding pigs in a far country. And there was this famine so that he himself was hungry. And in fact, the pig food started to look good to him. Anybody ever been in a position like that? Find yourself in a position you thought you would never be in and even something terrible starts to look like possible (laughs) given your situation he was so hungry even the pig food looked good to him but no one helped him no one would give him anything to eat so in our way of speaking today we might say that this young man has hit what rock bottom right he's hit rock bottom he can't go any lower And I think this illustrates what can happen to us sometimes. We may start off with this rebellious attitude, thinking life is just going to be great now. I'm in charge. I have what I want. And I'm going to make a great life for myself until you find yourself at rock bottom. You know, it has been said. I I really have always appreciated this quote. I like to go back and reflect upon this from time to time. I want to share it with you here now. And uh, it, it speaks of the deceitfulness of sin, how sin lies to us. But it's, uh, it goes like this. It says, Sin will take you farther than you ever expected to go. It will keep you longer than you ever intended to stay. And it will cost you more than you ever expected to pay. Isn't that true? Sin will take you farther than you ever expected to go. It will keep you longer than you ever intended to stay. And it will cost you more than you ever expected to pay. 
I know some of us have learned that firsthand, haven't we? The story doesn't end there. Jesus goes on to say, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. So we see a rebellious son and then a loving father. In this low condition, the younger son came to his senses. He started thinking, you know, in a pretty bad situation here, but I know that even the servants in my father's house have it a lot better than I do in this MSO. I know I've, I've, I've really blown it with dad, but maybe I can go back and maybe I can at least work. Maybe I can be a hired servant. I don't expect him to take me back as a son, but maybe I can be a hired servant and I'd be in a better position than I am here feeding the pigs, starving. So he has this speech all prepared. Father, I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So he goes back with a plan. But what he didn't know is that his father was eagerly and expectantly waiting for him. Not to punish him, but to receive him. And so he says, what? while this son was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. It's a little twist in the stories, and we would expect the son to show up and the father sees him and says, oh, you're back. No. What is he doing? He's looking for him. He sees him a far way off. Meaning what? He's looking. He's waiting for him eager for him to come home. And then when he sees him, he says, ah, there he is. Now he's coming. What does he do? He runs. He runs out to him. He embraces him, kisses him. And notice how the son didn't even get to finish his prepared speech, right? He started it. He said, Father, 
I have sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But before he could say, treat me like your hired servant, he's, the father stops him and embraces him. What does the father do? The father forgives him and graciously blesses him. Says what? Bring out a robe, a sandal, or a ring and sandals. Well, it's, what, it's like, you're not, a hired, you're not going to be a hired servant to me. You are my son. And in fact, he's even honoring him as a son by giving him this special robe and a ring and sandals. Did this son deserve any of that? Did he deserve to be hired as a servant? Probably not even that, but, but the father said, no, no, no. He welcomes him back and wants to bless him super abundantly beyond anything that he deserved. You know, Jesus said and says, in fact, we're going we're gonna to have a banquet for you. Jesus had previously spoken of the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, as being like a banquet. So Jesus' hearers then, they would recognize that he was saying here that repentant sinners would be graciously and eagerly welcomed into the kingdom. So Jesus is telling a story, this parable, what we know, but a parable is it's illustrating spiritual truth, right? And so this son, this repentant sinner, is being welcomed back to the father, and the father's throwing a banquet for him. That is, he's giving him all of this blessing of the kingdom. Repentant sinners will be graciously and eagerly welcomed into the kingdom of heaven. Now that would be a wonderful story if it ended right there, wouldn't it? And it is a wonderful story. And by the way, it isn't just a story. It's portraying an even more wonderful truth, isn't it? But because of where we started here, or what, where the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they were angry with Jesus. Why? Because he was associating with these sinful people. So now we come back to those Pharisees. It says, now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. 
it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother, your brother, was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So we see a rebellious son, a loving father, and an angry brother. See, this final section of the parable describes the attitude of the older brother who symbolized the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Did you hear the anger and the self-righteousness in that older son? Oh, I've always been here. I never disobeyed your command, right? But you couldn't even be bothered to give me a a little meal with with a goat, and yet you're giving him the best that you have. See, in the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they had that same attitude toward sinners as that older brother had toward the younger one. The older brother, what he had been working in the field, and when he saw all that was being done for his younger brother, he became angry. The Pharisees were angry with the message Jesus was preaching. Why? Because they didn't like the idea that people from outside their nation, as well as outcasts and sinners within the nation, were to be a part of the kingdom. How dare you let those people in the kingdom? Because they they thought they were better than all of them. Those people don't deserve the kingdom. Of course, they thought they did. Why? Because I've been working all these years. They were, they were working all these years doing God's will, so they thought. And now you're just going to give everything over to those sinful people there. And like the older son who refused to go to the feast, the Pharisees refused to enter the kingdom that Jesus was offering. Interestingly, though, the father went out and pleaded with the older brother to go to the feast. They were angry because Jesus ate with sinners, and he did. But Jesus also ate with Pharisees, didn't he? Jesus did not want to exclude the Pharisees and the teachers of the law from the kingdom. He wanted them to come too. His message was an invitation to everyone. And so instead of being angry that Jesus was extending this invitation, they should have been rejoicing. Remember, notice how that older brother said, that son of yours, right? Not his brother, that that son of yours. But what does the father call him? Your brother. You should be rejoicing that your brother who was lost is found. He was dead, but he's alive. But instead, you're angry. He says, the older brother said, I've been working all those years. You never gave a banquet for me. And he says, what? I've never disobeyed your orders. Well, I think those words betray the fact that this older brother was self-righteous, right? But he also thought of himself, his relationship with the father, in terms of his work and what he was doing. That he did not serve his father out of love, but out of a desire for reward. 
that perhaps he even thought of himself as being in bondage to the father in some way. But the father pointed out that he had the joy of being in the house all the time, and now he should rejoice in his brother's return. And those words, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours, suggest then the, these religious leaders' privileged position as members of God's chosen people, that they were the recipients and the guardians of the covenants and the law, and that rather than feeling angry, they should rejoice that others were joining them and would be a part of the kingdom. But they weren't. You know, this parable is often called the parable of the prodigal son. But I think we could also call it the parable of the loving father. And in this case, this father represents who? The heavenly father, right? This parable reveals the heart of God toward repentant sinners. It reveals his desire to mercifully forgive and graciously bless those who turn from their sin and come to him. It reveals the great joy when a person turns from sin and comes back to God. And so on this Father's Day, I want to remind all of us here of the attitude of the Heavenly Father toward us, toward his children. Who are his children? His children are those who have repented of sin and believed in Christ. And he is eager for those outside, away from, far from him in a far country, to come and to be received and be forgiven and blessed. So you, too, whatever your relationship may have been with your earthly father, you have a heavenly father. And you have a heavenly father who will always love you, who will forgive you, who will guide you, who will provide for you, and who will bring you to his heavenly home. And when you arrive in his home, you will be given more than a robe, a ring, and sandals. You will be given eternal life, perfect righteousness, a resurrected body, heavenly reward, and residence forever in a new heaven and earth. In fact, you will be given more than your mind can even imagine. Do you think that that lost son, that rebellious son, when he returned to the father, that he was expecting the father to do for him all that he did? Was he expecting that? No. And I think we're going to be amazed. Well, I don't think. I know we're going to be amazed when the heavenly father welcomes us home to our eternal home with him forever far, far more than we could even imagine. That's the attitude of your Heavenly Father toward you. So as we celebrate Father's Day today, let's be sure to celebrate first our Heavenly Father, to celebrate Him all the more. But I do have a word for earthly fathers, though, too. The earthly fathers, I want you to know that you are vitally important in the life of your children. You know, as our 
pop culture often likes to depict dads. How do we see them depicted? Like in sitcoms and shows. Oftentimes, what dads are? They're incompetent. They're ignorant. They're out of touch buffoons, right? The kids always know more than dad. And of course, mom is the ever virtuous saint, isn't she? Of course. All right, I heard that. And you know what? We need good moms, don't we? We do. But we need good dads, too. Here's something. This, this isn't exactly news, and, and, and I don't say this just as a preacher preaching from God's word. That, that's quite enough there. But even our culture is beginning to admit, you know what? We need fathers. You know, we, we look at all the things that are happening in our country now, and we can maybe get into all kinds of political arguments about this party or that party, this policy or that, and that's all fine and good to have those discussions and debates there. But, you know, there's something bigger or an issue far, far bigger than inflation or what to do with guns. You know, bigger issue than all that, it's what? It's a moral and spiritual issue in our country. And one particular outcropping of that is fatherlessness. Fatherlessness. So here's uh, just some data. You've probably have heard this before, but about how important fathers are in the lives of their children. And what happens when children don't have a father? Uh, It says, we know that fatherhood is essential to the development of our children, and the increased involvement of fathers in the home leads to better results on a wide variety of outcomes. From economic prosperity, increased academic performance to improved social mobility, fathers in their respective homes continue to be a key indicator of success for all children across racial, ethnic, and socioeconomic groups. For example... 85%, 85% of children and teens with behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. And over 70% of all adolescent patients in drug and alcohol treatment come from homes without fathers. Regarding poverty, data shows that children without a father in the home are five times more likely to live in poverty than a child in a two-parent household. Research also says that children without fathers at home are nine times more likely to drop out of school, and they represent 90% of all homeless and runaway children. So you can do this. This, is, this comes from secular sources that you can see the statistics about what happens when there's no father in the home. Fathers are vitally important. But the writer of this article summarizing some of these suggests something here that I think is important to hear as well. He says, Lastly, to the God-fearing fathers throughout our nation, we ask that you look beyond your own homes and make intentional efforts to coach, mentor, and support the fatherless children in your own communities. So that's something that we can do here as a church, as a church family, is reaching out to those fatherless children and being surrogate fathers then to them. So earthly fathers, you are vital. Be there for your kids. Love your kids. 
Pray for your kids. Forgive your kids. And bless your kids. But I also have a word for the rebellious children here. If you are a rebellious child, that if you are that rebellious child in the far country, you need to come home to your heavenly Father. Are you sick to your stomach with what you've been doing? Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Or perhaps, as that term prodigal child is often used, it might speak of one who has grown up in the, in the church or may have perhaps had a relationship with God at some point. Perhaps you're that wandering child. If you're that wandering child who has known the Father, it's time to return. It's time to come back to the sheepfold. It's time to repent and walk with the Lord. But I also would want to say this. If you are that parent, if you are that parent who is hurting over a rebellious child or a wandering child, I would say this simply for today. Don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. You know, I, I meet with a group of pastors every Thursday morning for prayer. And there we share some things that are going on in our hearts and our, our churches. Don't worry, we don't share stories about I'm not naming names and all of that. But we just share general concerns, okay? And we pray for one another in that. But here is a, a thing I've seen that, that, that almost every one of them has had the pain of a rebellious child or a wandering child. This is a common thing in our churches, isn't it? Parents who are hurting over wandering children. And so we pray. We pray often for them. Continue to pray for your wandering child. And as I said with someone earlier this week who was grieving over wandering children... I said to her, and I'll, I'll share it with all of you, that, that I believe, well, I don't believe this. I know this, okay? <laughs> I know that that prayer that you pray today, you may not see that answered today. You may not see that in your lifetime. But I believe that those things that we pray today, our prayers outlive us. And that you may go on to your reward. You may go on to be with God. And God is still going to be working on and answering that prayer after you're gone from here. So don't quit praying. Don't stop. So what? Remind us that the Heavenly Father delights to forgive and graciously bless repentant sinners. Are you a hungry rebel in a far country? Come to your senses. Come home. Repent. Come home. And be shocked and amazed at the grace of God. Maybe you're a wanderer who needs to return to the Heavenly Father. Repent and walk with Christ. Are you an earthly father or mother? 
and need of some encouragement, know how vital you are, how important you are. Know that you have a heavenly Father. And don't stop praying for your children. Pray for the ones that haven't wandered either, okay? (laughs) Pray for them all. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our time here today in your word. Thank you that you are a gracious and merciful God, a God whose grace far surpasses anything we can even imagine. Lord, we pray for the rebels, that they would come to their senses, that they would repent and believe in Christ. We pray for the wanderers, that they too would come to their senses, that they would repent and walk with you. Lord, we pray for those parents who are hurting or grieving over a wandering child. We pray that those children, Lord, some of them need to repent and believe. Others of them, Lord, need to repent and walk with you. Thank you, Father, that that our prayers will, will outlive us, will outlast us. So may we be encouraged here today to never quit, to continue to pray. And Lord, we honor you, our Heavenly Father, on this Father's Day. Thank you that you will always love us, forgive us, abundantly provide, bless, and guide, and bring us home. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.